Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Fill her up! We need to roll back the state. We spy on all of our own citizens. Our prisons are flooded with nonviolent drug offenders. If you want to know who America's next enemy is, look at who we're funding right now. Every single one of these problems are a result of government being way too big. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Part of the Problem. I'm your host, Dave Smith, and very happy to have returning favorite guest of ours, the great Michael Heiss. Of course, you guys know Michael Heiss is the founder and the head of the Mises Caucus and led the uh, the takeover of the Libertarian Party uh, this uh, last year in, in May. Um, it's March already of the next year, and we wanted to have Michael on to kind of talk about how things are going and what's next for the Mises Caucus and for the Libertarian Party. So, Mike, how are you, brother? I'm doing good, man. I'm busier than I've ever been. <laughs> well, that's yeah, good. It, it doesn't end with the takeover, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah it turns out that was, just, uh, that was just the beginning, which, of course, was the plan all along. I guess even before we kind of get into the, into the, you know, the next phase, how, how have you felt just kind of reflecting on what happened over the last few years. I mean, I was kind of, I was following you from the very beginning of this, uh, uh, of this journey um, and joined you fairly early into it. But it was kind of a, I mean, you know, a somewhat daunting thing that you set out to do. I remember I was looking back just recently at the initial Facebook uh, uh, <laughs> post that you made that was like, uh, that like now, it, you know, now it's been shared a few times, so it has like some some interaction with it. But this started with you just like posting on Facebook like, hey, you know what? Wouldn't it be cool if there was like a Mises caucus that like <laughs> actually really pushed Austrian economics and non-intervention? And there were some of the Ron Paul people were in the Libertarian Party and it's, you know, it gets like 13 likes or something like that. And then just a few years later, you're like, yeah, you did it. You went and took this whole thing, this over and, you know, like kind of galvanized this whole movement. What do you I don't know. What do you think when you reflect on that? Honestly, I try not to um, like the, the kind of the mindset that I take is is we're we're storming Normandy and, and you know, there's not really time for for stopping. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I'm happy about it. I feel a lot more responsibility now. Like, you know, I feel, um, you know, there's a my well, yeah, my sense of responsibility is really heightened. And, uh, you know, we have to deliver now. We have to kind of take that next step. So I'm really happy that the messaging has has taken the uh, the turn that it has. I'm really happy that uh, we're representing our principles and, and doing all those things that we set out to do. But um, there's a lot more to do. And, yeah. and that's going to be the hard part stepping forward. So, you know, yeah. happy and uh, and elated. You know, there was a lot of personal things built up into that. Uh, a lot of beef, a lot of a lot of hatred that was aimed at us. So I'm relieved that, um, you know, people of such low character don't have their their hands on the levers anymore. But uh, I'm concerned myself with kind of just taking that pivot from taking the party to doing something with it. And, and, you know, that's going to take some time. But I think we got some good plans and I think we've rolled out some really great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And we're going to get into that in just a second. I will say, as people who listen to the show know, I'm I'm a big believer in the importance of um, like inserting our ideas into the public consciousness. I know you are, too. And so like there always was like that to me, like people downplay that sometimes. But I think there's it's 
really important, and I think it's kind of hard to even measure exactly how important it is to have this this libertarian party, if we want our libertarian ideas out there in the wider conversation, to actually be standing for them. The libertarian party, you know, I remember uh, before our our people were were running the show there, you know, back in the day, or the you know, like everyone knows, like the you know the the anti racism tweets from Joe Jorgensen and stuff like that. But I remember tweets about how like you know they were like. Well, while we're against mandates, you really should wear your mask and socially distance and probably shouldn't go into work anyway. Like that was as far as they, they would, would go to. They would they would try to I, I, what how I describe it is they were trying to take a libertarian principle and insert that while upholding the narrative that was overriding our rights in the in the first place. Right. And then that and the narrative is what people bite down on first. So um, there's that like basically we just made ourselves safe to the mainstream narrative that's already like overriding all of our rights so we could be safely dismissed and and, and embarrassing ourselves. Right. And it's kind of like even if like, OK, you could theoretically I'm not saying you couldn't, but you could theoretically hold libertarian principles and still kind of believe in the overarching like narrative like you you could believe like well the best thing to do really is for nobody to go to work and for us to be in lockdown but i'm still against the government forcing it because technically i don't believe in that but the of course once you accept that you it makes it like impossible to sell your message because then to everyone else they go wait so you're just saying like everyone's gonna die if we go to work but you also want to make it legal to go to work like no then i'll just go with the government policy or like you know and so it's just it's so much more compelling and accurate when you're like, oh, no, this is all a big scam. None of this is real. Like there's there's no need to lock down. And also we believe in liberty. So good. anyway, the Libertarian Party uh, tweeted out today about an hour ago and I just retweeted it. It's moments like this that really just make me happy that uh, we got people, uh, you know, of, of character and principle running the thing. They said today, because by the way, if you don't know, today is the three year anniversary of the first of the longest 15 days in human history. Uh, today's the three year anniversary of 15 days to slow the spread. And they said today is the third anniversary of 15 days to slow the spread. As we all know, politicians turned it into 15 months to flatten the world. No lockdowns or vaccine mandates for any reason ever again. Quote, national emergencies are always excuses to violate your rights. And it's just like, look, if there's to be a libertarian Strong, party, uh-huh. that's what they should be said. That's exactly right. Like, that's exactly right. I don't know who who wrote it. Probably uh, Dave, uh, if I had to guess. Um, but that's just like that correct that's what you're supposed to be saying if you're the libertarian party if you're not then why are we even doing this you know it's just nice to hear right and finally crafting a narrative that's and and that's what you were saying like they were they were adopting the narrative the regime of the regime before and trying to put libertarian principles in there and then wondering why there was no response to it um where if you're brave and you get the narrative right at the beginning or at least have the, the the courage to question it that's what people remember and then that's the thing that builds your credibility in the long term not that Oh, he's believed in property rights for 40 years. You know, it's okay. it's the willing to be to be brave and to bruck, put your own reputation on the line and and buck the system consistently. And and you were you this is the importance of what you're getting at about like putting the information out there and putting the principles out there is that we as libertarians we talk about the power of the state a lot and that really is, you know, the core of the problem. But I would say the primary means of of control that are that are used against us are psychological and that's why it's the media. That's why it's education. And, and that's the first layer. The, the, that, that's, the, that's the velvet glove that sits over the iron fist that is the state. And um, that's the primary method of control and therefore the primary thing that we have to disentangle in order to like, compel people towards our side in the first place. Yeah, 100%. Couldn't agree more. And that's why they are so uh, invested in their propaganda campaigns. And that's why because they recognize how, how important that is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So we've you we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up. I want to get into all of this. I want to get into it. We, we, you've got this uh, the decentralized revolution uh, plan of action. There's this tour coming up. I'm very excited to be a part of that. I'll be uh, in, in the April event um, on, on April 1st here in uh, New York. I say here. I'm not in New York City, but close by in uh, New York City. Um, so I want to get into this whole tour that you're doing. But first, let's start with this. Uh, what do I call it? Kind of a I would. I don't want to say a memo. It was kind of like this uh, manifesto. manifesto. I, yeah, we, we're calling that, it our strategic manifesto. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of a good way to put it. But don't worry. We're, it's not like no one shot up a school or anything like that. The term manifesto has really been degraded over the years by uh, mass shooters. <laughs> but there's some good ones out there. Um, but so, so tell me a little bit about this. But you, you put this out a few months back, and it kind of really like 
it was like, look, this is the call to action. This is the next step for the Mises caucus. Yeah, man. So we, um, we have launched what we're calling project decentralized revolution. And, um, that's, that's basically the, the, the call to action itself. And, and that, that project decentralized revolution comprises of a couple of programs. Um, and one of them we're calling our run as libertarian program, which is mostly what is outlined in that strategic manifesto. But the idea is that the, the, the manifesto starts out with kind of like, uh, some vinegar for, for us as libertarians, particularly LP members. Um, and, and basically calling for us to get real with ourselves and to get honest with ourselves get honest about where we are as a third party, where third parties are within the reality, like within political reality, uh, and, and therefore setting the table on what's feasible in the, in the short term, medium term, long term, and, and therefore picking the highest value propositions for us to move forward with so that we can be most effective. Because if we don't have that honesty, we're not going to be able to calculate. If we can't calculate, we're not going to be able to act right. You know, so it's, 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 it's taking praxeology to political activity, <laughs> you know, like yeah. basically. And, um, and uh, ultimately, what we came up with is kind of just really crystallizing and putting the details into what we've been saying the whole time when it comes to we need to focus locally. So what Project Decentralized Revolution outlines is a year over year strategy for the Libertarian Party um, that is scale that is realistic, scalable and gives us more political power than we ever have if we were to follow it. Now, one of those pieces of vinegar, that shots of vinegar is there's no silver bullets. There's no quick fixes. This is going to be a long-term battle. This is going to be a long-term solution. I don't think there is any um, period, regardless of whether it's LP, agorism, GOP, whatever it is. I don't think there's any quick fixes. The, 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 the progressives took 100 years to get it where it is now. And you know, so we're going to have to live our lives for this, and, and that's just the reality of it, if we're serious about it. Um, so essentially where well, the strategy... Think, I, let, let me just stop you there even before you get into the strategy because it's it's interesting to kind of like take each one of these pieces apart. And I do think you're right. This is true in general for dissidents of the current regime, like not even just libertarians. You could be like some, you know, a left winger who's like actually for left wing policies, like is actually, you know, like a good anti-war kind of, you know, like anti-corruption left winger. Or you could be like a right wing dissident who's completely against the regime. It's everybody even though they know how bad it is, they all it, there's a natural tendency to try to live in this fantasy world where there will be some quick fix for this, where there will be. Right. OK, there's just it's appealing. something something happens. It's, a, it's psychologically pleasing. Yeah. Yes. It's the end of the movie. The end of the movie is supposed to be you're right up against it. And then the thing happens. And then, you know, from the jaws of defeat, you pull victory and there you go. OK. And that, and and even just trying to be realistic about this stuff often shatters people's kind of like illusions. But if you want to actually be successful, I think it's the way to do it. I, I remember so I'm thinking back to I had a, a, a debate with um, a former chair who shall not be named as he's been banished. Disgraced into, former chair. Yes. Been, he's been banished into the dustbin of history. Uh, but I had a, this debate with him at the Soho Forum, which I'm sure a lot of you guys have have watched. And the whole debate, one of the things that like really like stuck with me is like this whole debate. I'm there. I'm just, you know, I'm me. And he's trying to be suit and tie moderate. So I'm like, I hate all these people. This is the state's evil. Like we have this compelling message. My God, look at what's going on. The country's on a suicide mission. You know, and he's like, well, we have to listen to everybody. We have to. We can't go this crazy or then we'll turn people off. And then at one point he says what has been the Libertarian Party tagline. He goes, our goal is nothing less than to set the world free in our lifetimes. And and you're just like, oh, okay. Hyper-revolutionary, yeah. Yes, you're, yeah. you're talking about not, like this is literally what you're stating. After I'm the radical one and you're here being Mr. Pragmatic, your goal is not only to have a revolution of freedom in America, Canada, Mexico, all of all of Latin America, all of South America. We're going to spread it through Africa. We're going to dip back up, go take over all of Europe and set everybody free. And then we get to Asia. And by the time when we start getting to Asia, I'm probably around 60, 65 years old because I still got another 20 years because this is within my lifetime where I'm going to set the entire world free. And that sounds really nice. It sounds really nice to say we're going to set the world free in our lifetime. The The, you know, the probability of this ever happening is 0.0%. Like there, there's absolutely no chance. It, it's, it's also self-aggrandizing. You're yeah. the hero of the world. Right. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like, and, and that's, um, yeah, we got to bring that down a little bit. I mean, like our principles are heroic, but yeah. Like, look, if someone were to say to you, I'm not even, if they go, you know, if they said, 
If someone goes, we will have constitutional carry in all 50 states within our lifetime, you'd be like, that's a daunting check call. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's a lot to try to get. Just like one area of free, you know? And so there's just, we do, it's, it's interesting. There's something that's kind of like um, counterintuitive that even though we're the far more radical purist libertarians, we're also the ones who are going like, okay, no, look, we have to have, a, we, we can be in our rhetoric as pure and, and hardcore as we should be. But then also in our goals, we have to be really pragmatic and, and target achievable victories. And, and we have to be deliberate and defined because when you have something like that, like liberty in our lifetime, it kind of puts, well, what's the next step in out into the fog? You know what I mean? And, and, and you, you, again, it, it screws up your calculation. Okay. So we're here right now. We have this ideal of, of quote unquote liberty in our lifetime. So then what's the next step? It's so daunting that you can't calculate. And again, if you can't calculate, you can't move. So yeah. like you can't, you, and, and, and so you have to kind of bring things back down to reality in order to be able to take that next step. And it's, it's yes. just, it's the, it's the kind of the classic uh, cliche or saying or whatever of like, you know, you eat an elephant one bite at a time, you know, yes. you kind yes. of, yeah. And, and there's there's something to and, and it's a challenge for for members of the Libertarian Party and I, not even just like the I mean, the ones in our camp, you know, who far outnumber the ones outside of our camp. And, and I know, look, I got some people within the Mises caucus gave me pushback when I uh, uh, supported Blake Masters out in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And like, look, fair enough. There was, uh, as I always said, there was an argument to it. There is an argument to like why some people thought this was the wrong move. Um, I've given my argument on why I thought it was the right move before. We don't have to go back over that. But I remember this one thing that kind of stuck with me was I, there were several people who go, um, they go, well, if the Libertarian Party candidate is just going to get concessions from the, the you know, a Republican candidate and then drop out of the race, I mean, that's that's an insult to everybody who volunteered and donated his money because he just wasted all those resources. And I was just, now forget how you feel about whether I should have supported Blake Masters or not. All that aside, I'm just saying this mentality that your resources yeah. are wasted if you dropped out and got concessions. But if you finish the race and get five percent, then what the resources like now it's, it's purely like emotional and in your head. And yes. there's just a, a certain psychology to this that we kind of have to break out of where you go like, no, look, what we're targeting are real victories, not pretending that money wasn't wasted because we ran some. Right. And especially uh, the, the, the caveat that I'll give to that is, is um, there wasn't ballot access considerations yes. in that race. And, and I think that calculus would flip if there were. Um, but, but yeah, there was not ballot access considerations in that race. So I, I agree with you. And, and I think where, what you're touching on there is that part of what fuels politics, especially today is you have your in group and your tribe and and you have your out group and your enemy and you are united against them even if things are not necessarily totally internally cohesive or, or united um you know you have to preserve the in group no matter what and i think that is a a uh, tendency in all sectors of politics even libertarians and um you know i i so i think people are, are still have that tendency and again that's something that i'm calling to break out of that we can't be we can't be partisans. Uh, we don't have the luxury to be blind partisans because if our call to people outside of our own groups is going to be, okay, join the Libertarian Party, but only if you're going to 100% vote with only us every time, that's it, you're a Libertarian. Everybody else has got to go. Everything else has got to go when we don't really have much to offer in terms of uh, helping these different in-groups destroy their enemy or threaten them to be destroyed themselves, then you know th that's not really a good pitch. Um, we're going to have to be a little bit more accommodating to kind of earn their trust. And the word trust is, is, uh, prevalent in that document. That's another thing that we don't talk about a lot. We talk about our ideas, we talk about our principles, and that is the end goal is to get people to buy into those things. But we don't really talk about psychology and we don't talk about how to get people to bite down on those things. And, and so for me, it's how do we generate trust, wider trust in society? Um, and, and, you know, I think our, our plan does that. All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show. One of my favorite sponsors we've ever had here. You know him, sheathunderwear.com, the underwear of legends, the only underwear that I ever own, the best pair of boxer briefs I've ever put on my body. I threw out everything else, and all I wear is sheath. Anytime you see me, anytime you hear my voice, I am speaking to you, coming to you 
in a comfortable pair of sheath underwear. They're they're just the best. You put them on, they're just super high quality. They feel comfortable. They have the dual pouches that separate your man parts. It's a game changer. And you don't have to use it. You could just wear them like regular underwear, but you're going to want to check out that dual pouch. I'm telling you. They also have gator necks and hoodies and t-shirts, a bunch of just really quality stuff. Go check them out over at sheathunderwear.com. And of course, they're a loyal sponsor of us. They've been with us for th- oh, They've been with us for over three years, so they're the best underwear you're ever going to own, and they're a a really loyal sponsor of Part of the Problem. So please do go check them out, sheathunderwear.com. Use the promo code PROBLEM20, and that will get you 20% off your entire order. Sheathunderwear.com, promo code PROBLEM20 for 20% off. All right, let's get back into the show. So so let's get into the plan. So what is it? So, okay, so... We've been talking a long time now about we have to run local. We have to run local. And that is true. But again, even that's kind of vague and out in the in the in the in the ether. So we have to really drill down and say, what exactly are we doing? Okay. We have to run for city council, mayor, and school board, sheriff and judge. Now, sheriff and judge is county level races. Even that is a little out of our pay grade. Um, we should seek it. But really that mayor, school board and uh, and city council should be the primary thing that we are running for. That's what the, the most amount of our effort should be going for. And then even then you might say, well, you know, Philadelphia, you need you need to raise about a million dollars <laughs> or more to, to win. And, and so even the big cities, this this is rough. Um, we need to be running for these races in as many places as possible where it's as realistic as possible. So then what, what exactly do I mean by as realistic as possible? We can use data to, to, to generate that answer. So like in my state of Pennsylvania, for example, we have an uh, awesome guy here named BJ who has done the work to um, basically look at all the municipal level elections that happened uh, in, in the last election. And he found that there was literally dozens, dozens of city council mayor and school board seats that the entire race had 50 votes or less in them. I don't mean the winner got 50 votes. I mean the entire race had 50 votes or less in them and and sometimes 10 or less. Um, and and uh, so you can create as a state now from a state party perspective, you can get that data and say, OK, we are now going to run a campaign to recruit people for these positions. We want you to run for city council no matter what. But these l- ultimate low hanging fruit positions that are of consequence with 50 votes or less um, are, are, you know, depending on what the bottom wrong, maybe your state, it's 100 votes or less. But you get my point. Um, and, and, um, really target those races. So now you have the beginning of an actual political strategy, because if you were to go into the state parties by and large right now, the culture in terms of politics is, well, just run for something, man. We're just trying to get on the ballot, man. And, 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 uh, there's just no direction. There's no aim. And again, if you, if there's no aim, you can't calculate. If you can't calculate, you can't act. So it's really about bringing praxeology into this and, and, um, so the state parties, because and, and again, people try to gloss this up uh, in the state parties. We're like, well, I wouldn't want to tell somebody what to do. And it's like, well, then what the hell does leadership mean? Right. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like leadership is. Oh, by you- the way, I hate this. I, there's something. By the way, this is the thing that drives me the craziest about libertarians. It's just like and, and I love libertarians and I love libertarianism as much as any person on this planet. But that whole like there's a strand in libertarianism where they go, well, I'm not going to like tell someone what to do. And like. Are you putting a gun to their head and forcing them to do it? Because if not, it's consistent with libertarianism. Like as someone said that to me the other day, I was on Twitter was arguing with some uh, guy uh, and um, I was like, he was like, libertarians believe this. And I was like, no, libertarians believe this. You don't speak for us. And he's like, I'm as qualified to speak for libertarians as you are. And I was like, no, actually, you're not. No, you're not. Because I speak for way more of them than you do. You know, guy with right. a couple thousand followers. I speak for way more libertarians than you. So I'm much more qualified to speak for them. And then someone goes, anyone who needs someone else to speak for them isn't a libertarian. And you're like, yeah, what? Per- perfect like, example. What does that of this. mean? What is that? I, if- I can't have a lawyer in a, in a court because I'm a libertarian. Like, what? I could have someone else speak for me. If, if I pay to go to if I pay to be a, a member at a boxing gym. I am literally paying somebody who maybe they're a retired fighter or maybe they were an amateur fighter. I am paying somebody to tell me what to do yes. because I respect their leadership. I expect I, I respect their their experience and I want to learn and I want to better myself. That's what leadership is. They right. people and people conflate sometimes libertarians because and this is another thing. Libertarians have every capacity to be every bit of capacity to be ideologically possessed as anybody else. And I think that's like what what you're getting at. Yeah. Here. And and um, well, and getting the ideology wrong, even it's not even like yeah, directly ideologically possessed, but yeah. 
And, um, you know, there's a difference between leadership, which is a social phenomenon that is hardwired into us to recognize hierarchy and tyranny. Of course, nobody wants tyranny and wants to be told by a strong man what to do. But part of part of like hierarchy, social hierarchy, part of life is you look up and admire, look up to and admire people who have achieved things that are admirable to you and aim to be like them and then take measures to learn how to better yourself and, and, and orient yourself in that direction. And that is what a leader is in, in, the, in the organic social sense. So if, if you are a leadership of the party, you should be providing avenues to maximize the activity of the people who are underneath you volunteering. Yeah, and and that isn't there right now. And if, again, if you, if, you don't, if you don't even have a political strategy, then you don't have a fundraising strategy. If you don't have a, a political strategy or a fundraising strategy, you don't have a recruitment strategy. The recruitment strategy is, well, we, we really fucking like property rights. That's the recruitment strategy. Um, that's not enough. That's not compelling enough. Yeah, no, certainly not on a level that's scalable to like really get a lot of people into this. I also think that there's been, you know, there's been state parties before and actually you kind of like, schooled me to this a little bit where i remember the uh, um in the old guard in uh, pennsylvania where they kind of had this strategy of like um find mm -hmm. uncontested races throw candidates at those races and then say look we want a race and a lot of i these was one of them i won yeah right it's a, a, a lot of these positions were like you know the dog catcher is the kind of like go-to joke was... on them but it was um, uh, constable, which there are states where constable matters. Pennsylvania is not one of them. Right. Um, it was constable and uh, elections inspector. And I resigned because it's useless. Right. It's useless. And they spent tens of thousands of dollars to send physical mailers to get people into these positions so that they could pad their numbers and say, we have the highest number of so, elected libertarians. So you and then if you... Yeah, you, you realize that it's just like, oh, wait, no, no, no. Okay, there's some more detail to this. If you're spending... $30,000 to get people elected to or $60,000 to be, get people elected to positions that don't matter, that don't have any impact. And then you can sit there and literally the result you have is that you have a, a talking point that you can brag about and say, we have the most elected libertarians in this state. You're like, OK, but if this isn't translating into any victory for liberty, what is that? Contrast that. You're racist. Having, to, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, contrast that to having two sheriffs in a state. You know, you got two. I mean, there were a few sheriffs, not not uh, I don't believe members of the Libertarian Party, but there were a few sheriffs around this country who were real heroes in 2020. I highlighted a few of them on this show who straight up said we will not enforce lockdowns. We will not enforce mask mandates. We will not uh, enforce, you know, the um, whatever people being deemed non-essential. Th these were heroes who protected real people's real liberty in real life. You get a couple of those in your state. You've done more than having every single election in inspector. The same thing happened in Illinois. I want to say a month or two ago, um, there, there was they were they were putting forward some hardcore gun control measures, and like the majority of the sheriffs across the state were like, no, yeah. nope. And and if you're one of those people who live in that state, and again with your COVID example, you're pretty friggin' grateful that that you have a sheriff with some balls. And you know? now look and now if that sheriff wants to run for something bigger or even if the Libertarian Party just wants to like I, I understand we want talking points to brag about. But instead of the talking point of the old Pennsylvania guard being like, haha, we have the highest number with no result from that. Now We've you're going most liberty. We, yeah, we protected yeah. you and we will protect you again. And that's always going to be, by the way, at least when it comes to politics, the only way I've ever seen it successfully done is by convincing people you're going to protect them. That's like what every single politician attempts to do is to convince people that there's this external threat to them and we're going to protect you. And it is true. We're just the ones who recognize that the external threat are the politicians. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. So, yeah, you start off with this with this bottom rung of, of people uh, to these local level positions with teeth. And the teeth comes from the 10th Amendment. Like, again, the, the, our whole thing is about nullification and decentralization. So the 10th Amendment, you can you can do whatever you is is passable by the, the locality in, in there. And um, so you start there. And then again, so now you have a political strategy. The state party can then start going to donors and members and saying, hey, we actually have a political strategy. So if we raise X amount of dollars, we can get this software and that tool and this to maximize this political strategy. So now you have a combined political strategy and fundraising strategy, which then comes together to inform your your um, 
recruitment strategy. Hey, everybody, we've got tools to make your job available. We want you in. Hey, you're you're a, a member of the party or you're registered libertarian and you're in this area. Well, hey, one of those seats with 50 votes or less is in your town. We need you involved. We got tools. We can help you. We can actually help you, which doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> State parties don't really uh, haven't been uh, too helpful for a lot of campaigns. And, um, you know, so that all of that comes together to to actually cover all of these bases. So then we're orienting. We're, so then the question is, is, for the Libertarian Party, what is the highest value propositions? I would argue that it's one, these local level races of of high impact and then B, ballot access or two, ballot access. So then you might ask the question, well, you don't have local level elections every year. So what do you do? Um, and we've got a strategy for that that, again, maximizes the effect of and, and the aim at local level races while trying to also maximize uh, for, for ballot access. So in most states, in the years that you don't have local level races, you're going to have your Senate races and your state house races, or and every four years, your governor's races. Um, so what you can do is, I, what we advocate in that document is that you run for state house. Now, if we're, we have to level with people, you're not going to win state house. Like it's, it's happened. It's rare. They don't win reelection. You're not going to win. Most likely you're not going to win. However, that does not mean that there's not a goal for it because if you run for state house, the district that you're running in must necessarily comprise of the locality that you would otherwise be running in if you ran local. So take your state house race, aim the entire thing in your locality. Knock every door that you can in your locality. Make friends with local level elites, church leaders, you know, uh, community leaders. Get on a committee. Do all of the work to make yourself a known quantity because generally speaking, you're not going to be get, getting elected to anything if you just come out of the ether. You have to be a known quantity in your community. Um, so like that's a big component of it too. But if we level with people and say, listen, your goal here, you're ostensibly run, running for state house, but really you're building up to your local level race that's realistic. Um, you know, that so that, that makes it much easier for them to win. But this also then gives your Senate candidate who's shooting for ballot access or your governor candidate a framework by which to campaign. They can then say, oh, there's all these state house races that need support. I will go and help them collect signatures around the state. They get signatures for me. And then this minimizes the amount of money that you have to spend, because most of the times um, people, the parties have to spend money just to get on the ballot. And then they're spent by the time they ever get to the general. We did this in Pennsylvania. We had an all-time high number of state house races. They got signatures for themselves and the governor at the same time. And we got on the ballot for free in the first time in our history. Hmm. Um, and, and, and then they went on to maintain minor party status here in Pennsylvania for the first time ever in a, in a midterm election. So, so the, again, you, you focus locally. You, you maximize for trying to get ballot access. And the state house races become farming systems for the local level races. Okay. And then so, uh, yeah, I, I just completely agree with all of that. I think that I, to me, this is and this was kind of like this was always like the broad strokes ideas that we had talked about. But I really like you guys kind of like how you kind of flushed it all out here. Like this is the path forward for the Libertarian Party. And then in terms of like statewide and national like uh, uh, races. What do you think like the which you talk about in the paper? I'm just setting you up to say this. But so what do you think like what's the goal of someone who's running for Senate? Or, or someone who's running for president or anything like that. It's still ballot access, but beyond that, because you're not guaranteed to get it, you know, and, and, but be, so beyond that, it should be a, a state level version of what the national messaging is. It should be to change the, to shift the Overton window for the state, drive recruitment for the state and, and paint a narrative and a picture of who and what we as libertarians are so that people have a, a, a you know, an accurate picture to to bite down on and then we can pull them in. And then that funnel again funnels down into because because people burn out, man, this is all volunteer work. You know, yeah. it's hard. And 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 so, like, if you don't have something realistic, people are just going to eventually throw their hands up and say, what the fuck am I doing here? I have kids, you know, like or whatever. And and so you you have to get out of that trap. Um, so if we, if we get them excited about the ideas, funnel them in and then give them some realistic work that actually has some viability to it, now you start to win. And if you can kind of create a culture of winning and an attitude of winning, it starts to become a, a you know, a, a self-perpetuating cycle. And then finally, you might ask, well, what about where you got counties and stuff like that that don't have enough people and they don't run candidates? Like we're still the Libertarian Party. We're still not filling up the ballot. We're still small. So this is where the role of issue coalitions comes in. 
Um, you know, if you don't have candidates, then maybe you should be lobbying your city council if you're a blue town for for um, like a ban on the warrantless use of surveillance technology. Or maybe your red town, you should be lobbying for gun sanctuaries to, again, build that trust. There are a lot of rank and file, honest to God, conservatives who are dead ser- more, a lot more serious about their Second Amendment uh, rights than the politicians that they've elected. Yep. Um, so we can come in and exploit that gap and and deliver that for them and start to gain that trust. Because I don't even think we can have when you when you think about this friend enemy distinction, in group out group distinction. I don't think it's really po- unless you're talking to somebody who is at like the very high end of trait openness distribution. Um, I don't think it's possible to really even have the meaningful conversations until we start to build the trust because we're asking them to leave their in group or risk leaving their in group and risk. The, the, the social ostracization that comes with that. Um, and, and that's a lot to ask of somebody. That's why we can't be like, we have to be a partisan or nothing at all. You know, we're asking a lot of people by leaving their in groups. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's also, and, and then the other thing about that, and this, this was also often a criticism of the Ron Paul uh, presidential campaigns, which I did, I think is somewhat fair um, was that there was and, and this is what's cool, like really cool about what the Libertarian Party has to offer, especially now that the Mises Caucus people are in there and actually trying to like, you know, present a vision for what it could be um, rather than this just kind of which literally what it used to be it was just uh, run for something and vote chase, get as many votes as you can. And we set the world free in our lifetime. That's yep. that's the plan. You know, it's like but now what you're talking about is like, yeah, what you want to have is like you want to have these great candidates like, you know, you have people like Shane Hazel or something like that who's running for, for Senate. You want to have uh, presidential candidates who can inspire people like a la Ron Paul. But the criticism of the Ron Paul uh, um, movement was that, OK, so now you got all these kids. OK, so now what? And right. Ron Paul, to, you know, to his credit and in some ways to his detriment was always, you know, you do whatever you think, you know. Whatever you think you should do, you go do. And like, okay, a lot of us, so like we're we're here now, you know, like a lot of us are, mm-hmm. this is what we're doing now. Um, but now this is much more of a thing of like, what are what are you gonna do? Okay, where do you live? What locality are you in? Okay, here's what I need you to do. And a lot of times it's not that big of an ask. Here's what I need you to do. Go vote for this guy for sheriff. Go put this guy on your school board. Not even saying run for something, saying, hey, get active in your local community and just show up once every couple of years and support our guys. And then the ones who are a little bit more willing to get into it, hey, I want you to go run for this. And now there's a plan of action where we can actually start putting real pressure toward this massive decentralist, this radical decentralized movement where people like a real difference can be made. Because like we all know, even if Ron Paul, if Ron Paul today was appointed president of the United States, very little would change other than the consciousness. You know what I mean? Other than the fact that he could speak on such a huge platform and that that could change a lot. But politically, the levers of power are locked in and they're not even really in the executive uh, branch. You know what I mean? Or, or they're right. not they're not in the Oval Office, let's say. And, and people, if, if there's one thing that I've, I've been pleased to see with the covid regime bullshit is, is that people are rediscovering in mass the primacy of local level politics. Yes. Um, you know, you saw all these moms flooding school board meetings because of the mask mandates or the school shutdowns. And now you're seeing it maintained you know, through uh, like the CRT stuff in, in the curriculums and the, and the child sexual like propaganda and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I think it's a damn shame that it took, you know, child sexual stuff for people to realize that they're being propagandized by the government. It had to go that far to the extreme before people said like, well, wait a minute, what about the history? You know, and, and <laughs> you know, like, and, and right. you know, all of that kind of stuff. But, um, but hey, we have an opening now and, and it's massive and, and we can exploit that and we have to exploit that. And again, what everything I've just described, this is one half. This is the this is the political part. This is the 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 run as libertarian. And and to comment on on what Ron Paul always said to his credit, um, again, we're trying to I'm trying to bring a realistic thing to the Libertarian Party. I know we're not winning Congress. I know we're not winning Senate. And I'm not trying to fool you anymore. Like I'm not trying to I'm not trying to tell you that we are. What we now have today with a liberty movement that did not exist, you know, prior to the Ron Paul explosion is we have a much more of a, of a choose your own adventure type of thing. And, and yeah. this is why, why leaders in the liberty movement shouldn't be at each other's throats. You know, maybe you're more focused on, on Congress and maybe that's what you truly honest to God believe should be the focus. You know what? Go to the Republican Liberty Caucus. You know, uh, maybe you truly believe that state house is the best thing. Okay. Check out y'all. We've got that network. Maybe you want to learn homesteading and you want to become more self-sufficient. And maybe you think that's what it is and fuck politics and blah, blah, blah. Check out freedom cells. You know, but we've got 
we've got all the bases covered and we just need to coordinate with each other and, and support each other. No, I mean, like, and and, and, yeah, yeah, there's a bunch, you know, uh, it's like moving to the free state project, uh, you know, homeschooling your kids. We've got the Ron Paul homeschool curriculum. Like there's all these different like avenues, but this is a really important one too. Um, And so like, yeah, I, I, I really agree with you about that. And that's why, and I think that some of the, um, I'd say some of the people like the more mature ones and stuff are, are like, kind of coming around to that idea that you're like oh this isn't like a competition between tho bishop and michael heiss and like the free state project you know what i'm saying like that's stupid like there's not this isn't a competition we're all aiming at the same thing from different angles and you know what i mean we're gonna see whatever there's a, a lot of these goals can go hand in hand um okay let's talk about this tour what's this all about so the tour is is uh, our big push for the other half of, of Project Decentralized Revolution, which is culture. Um, you know, we, we're not dumb to that. We're not we're not claiming that that politics is the end all be all right. of, of what has to be done here. Um, and so, you know, a big part of what we're trying to do is is get involved in the culture, whether that be, you know, expanding our relationships with people with uh, platforms beyond just our, our regular uh, libertarian circles, you know, you've done a great job of that with Joe Rogan and, and Tim pool, you know, um, you know, we're, we're talking with anomaly. We've, uh, we've recruited Iraq veteran 88, 88 into the party. You know, these are all part of that kind of cultural thing of like, who is out there that's interested or at least skeptical that we can get interested and start talking to and building trust with so that they can start affecting their networks. The other part of it though, is that I am thoroughly convinced that, regardless of what the strategy is, whether it's LP, whether it's GOP, whether it's agorism, whatever have you, all of them, all of them are destined to fail if we do not have a robust community that gives a shit about each other. Um, and and we have yeah. to foster that while at the same time uh, doing the, 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 the work. So um, the tour is, is really, you know, it's 2023. It's the year before the presidential cycle. We're we're, you know, this is the most boring and least engaging part of the presidential cycle. Um, so what we want to do is we want to, you know, keep our, our community engaged. We want to keep our, our people engaged and bring them together to have a good time together uh, and, and offer that opportunity to to get training while also bringing out, you know, the biggest voices in the liberty movement to help keep them motivated and, and, and teaching us. So the Take Human Action Tour is starting. Um, it's a six city tour of speaking events with training opportunities attached to them that are running through April and May. Um, and we're hitting uh, New York on April 1st. We're hitting Chicago on uh, April 15th. Uh, we're hitting Nashville, Tennessee on the 27th of April. We're hitting Austin, Texas on the 29th. And then we're hitting uh, Oakland, California. I forget the date on that one on May 13th. And then we're hitting Denver, Colorado on May 27th. And, you know, we we're bringing out, I mean, the entire, like almost anybody you can think about and no two events are the same. You know, we've got you and, and Maj and Tom coming to, to uh, New York. Uh, you know, Jeff Deist is going to be uh, at the Nashville event. There's also going to be a debate between Clint Russell and, uh, and destiny at that one. Uh, we've got Michael Rechtenwald coming out to Chicago and a couple of other ones. You know, we got Ryan McMacken coming to the Denver one. I've never seen McMacken at anything related, even closely related to, the, the LP. I'm really excited yeah. about that. You know, we've got Ian Crossland going out to uh, the, the Oakland, California one. So again, we're kind of spreading out. Um, and, and the idea here is that not only is this a tour and obviously we're promoting it, and I'm promoting and trying to get people out, but I've used this as an opportunity to go out to say young Americans for Liberty and say, Hey man, come table this event for free. Just promote it. Hey fee, come table this event and just promote it. And let's get a cross section of the Liberty movement at these things and and you know what? You've got just as much an opportunity to get somebody from my audience and vice versa. And let's just all grow with each other and let's build this community, because, again, the community is going to be the thing that keeps us together as the times get increasingly dark, as the economy goes, it gets increasingly dark. You know, it's going to be the thing that keeps us together and keeps us going is that community, that remnant that that we're all trying to bring back together. Yeah, one one hundred percent. And I'm uh um I'm really looking forward to to this tour. I'm really looking forward to the New York event. And uh, yeah, I've, I don't think me, uh, you, and Tom and Maj probably haven't all hung out together since. Uh, and Gene, and Gene, oh, and Gene, and Gene's gonna be G- there. Gene will be there. Yeah, can't wait. I really can't wait for that. Gene wasn't even at Reno. This is even more than the than, than we had there. All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is Freeze Pipe. Smoking cannabis doesn't have to hurt. 
Did you know that smoking cannabis hurts up to 2.5 million people? I'm just making numbers up, but freeze pipe. Go check it out. Luis J. Gomez, my pothead friend, swears by this, and he's a very experienced smoker. Uh, the smoother clouds without the throat burn, chest pain, no coughing attacks. Freeze pipe makes a unique line of freezable pipes, bubblers, bongs, and dab rigs that cool smoke by over 300 degrees. The smoke is so smooth, you'll check to see if the bowl is even lit. The secret is freezable glycerin chambers that come on every piece. Pop one of these chambers in the freezer for one hour, and as smoke passes through, it's instantly chilled for a dramatically smoother and icy experience. Think larger clouds with zero chest and throat burn. Finally, no more coughing attacks and no more water chugging after every rip. Just an elegant smoking experience that'll change how you light up forever. All right, start smoking like royalty right now without paying a king's ransom. Shop now and enjoy free shipping at freezepipe.com. And if you use the promo code POTP, you'll get 10% off your entire order. That's freezepipe.com, promo code POTP for 10% off your order. Order today and say goodbye to harsh smoke forever. All right, let's get back into the show. Okay, and then, by the way, because you just said a few times that there's this training uh, attached to it. So, like, if you could just specify on that a little bit more, like what training so, is going to be about. So, uh, it's candidate training. Um, so, now, everyone needs to go to TakeHumanActionTour.com, uh, and that's where the tickets for all the different events and all the details of all the different events are, TakeHumanActionTour.com. But you've got the speaking events on Saturday with a, with a hangout and meetup uh, afterward, and then we have candidate trainings that are completely free to attend, um, the day after. So like in New York, Larry Sharp is going to be, uh, running a, a campaign training. The grassroots leadership Academy is going to be, uh, hosting trainings at a couple of these other ones. But then like, we've got, uh, Kelly Cardin, who is an elected libertarian, um, to, uh, uh, County commissioner out in California. Uh, uh, Aaron Lamb is going to be doing training in, uh, Denver. He, he beat a long-term incumbent for mayor in Keensburg, Colorado, um, so these are people who have already done the work, who created their own training modules. So again, we're bringing the community get together. We're trying to have a good time. We're trying to run education and then, and then also train and be serious about the work. Yeah, no, I, yeah, this is just absolutely great. And it's, uh, it really is like, to me, this is, it, it's really a breath of fresh air, um, compared to like the previous, uh, um, you know, like LP regime. And it's, it's interesting to see, um, to see kind of like the change, like I said before, it's like this is this is kind of like what we always talked about when we would say what like there was kind of this before the Mises caucus came into the existence before you manifested that uh, there were two major uh, caucuses in the Libertarian Party. I mean, there were always like several, but the two big ones were the prag the pragmatists and the radicals and the pragmatists don't exist anymore, um, but they, you know, just got stomped into oblivion uh and the radicals are still there i think or whatever but but there was something kind of funny and not saying that every member of these caucus of the caucus like fell into this trap but there's something about like the distinction between like it's like well do we want to be pragmatic or do we want to be radical and what we would always say is like we need like radical pragmatism like that or pragmatic radicalism like that's what the libertarian yep. party really needs to be there is like there's this one because you can always see like the worst of both worlds where there's like one like form of pragmatism is like well i'm not going to say we need to repeal the whole war on drugs but let's legalize pot that's like gary johnson it's more pragmatic if i just say this because it'll be unpopular and it won't get us as far if i if i say the whole thing and then there'd be like these radicals who are like we want to abolish driver's licenses and you're like okay that's radical but it's stupid, you know, it's and like, a spectacle, yeah. right? Like this is you're being radical on the dumbest thing to be radical on. And now it's, you're just dismissed and you didn't even talk about anything that really matters. Um, and so this is much more of a like, no, look, we're not we're not giving up one inch of our principles, but we're also going to attack this thing in the most pragmatic way. And I would just say to kind of like, you know, it, it, it almost would I would think would have to be just by the empirical evidence undeniable that this whole vote chasing strategy is a complete failure just by the fact that we took over the party. Correct. Like, you know, yeah. get, you have Gary Johnson in 2016 gets the, what they all brag about the highest vote totals, the highest vote. It's like, and he did now, you know, one of the things you've mentioned this before too. I think that 
the, I, I personally, I've always said this, votes mean nothing to me. They mean le less than nothing to me. How many, I mean, look, I understand like maybe there's like ballot access or getting on a debate stage considerations or something like that. But just how many votes you got in a losing effort, I, I don't even understand why the number should mean anything. So here's here's how I'll, I'll expand on that. I wouldn't say they mean nothing to me, but they're a lower order um, okay. consideration. And just That's the way that, fair. yeah, just the way that value is ordinal. Again, you have to calculate before you act and your actions have to be arranged. So the highest value action is the thing that's going to get the most of your attention and your focus and all of that. Um, and that's for me, local level elections and, and organizing this whole thing. Well, uh, towards maximizing that outcome. So if, if, you know, it's a false dichotomy, but if I were to get, if you were to ask me, okay, well, do you want 6 million votes uh, and, and, you know, 10, like, like a lower number of members to draw from, to like recruit for these offices and, and, and supporting these offices, or would you want 1 million votes, but you get way, you inspire way, way more people who happen to be from a more narrow um, demographic? Um, yeah, give me the, pe we need people very badly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. like, give me, give me the people who are motivated to do it. Well, uh, and it's and not, it's not, it. yeah. like, I, I understand what you're saying. Like, it's, it's, it, it, you could argue that it's a false choice and say, oh, hey, I want both. Like, OK, fair enough. But you're saying if you had to choose and that's you, not yeah. that's not a made up like like, look, Harry Brown, uh, when he ran for president in 96 and in 2000, generated more members than Gary Johnson. He, he got a fraction of the votes. He got Gary 0. Johnson four. 4.4 percent of the vote in in 2000. And the, the party had made when adjusted for inflation, more money than it's ever made and had more members than it's ever had. Right. So like it's like, no, there there are these scenarios where you'll have one or the other. And we're just saying what's actually more valuable. I mean, look like these there, there would be people who are actually arguing that Gary Johnson was the, in, the was the most successful presidential campaign we ever had. And then a few years later, the party was taken over by these awful, you know, right wingers or whatever they call us. And you're like, OK, well, isn't there just something like just say that narrative five times in a row in your head and then find out what the like the conclusion from that is is like oh yeah getting a big vote total actually didn't do that much how how can you brag about like oh my god we got this huge vote total and then a few years later you have nothing you have nothing to show for it yeah and 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 here's the thing though is that they're telling the truth according to how they view success their metric of success is completely different from yours and mine. So like, for example, there, there are people who are like the Joe Jorgensen campaign was a success. And they're one of the metrics that they might use for that is, well, you know, she had a really cheap price per vote. Uh, and if, right. if you care about votes, that's a legitimate statistic that does matter. Um, but then what I, what I always pointed out was, okay, she made like three mil, like $3 million, a little bit more than that spent that. And now we got what 3,500 members came in off that. So what's the price per member? Right, right. And, and, and nobody wants to have that conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then like, um, you know, you kind of look at this and you go, all right. So if your if your big thing is, you know, chasing um, votes, then, OK, yeah, you're going to look at it this way. But if you look at the re the results of the higher votes, it, there's there's nothing to show for it. So like to me, even when someone goes, you know, when when they're comparing, you know, I'd see people like arguing about different candidates. Well, this guy did better than this guy because he got more votes than him. They'll be like, yeah, but it's the same percentage of the votes. And oh, look, this guy got more votes than Shane Hazel did. So he was a better candidate than Shane Hazel was. And I'm like, no, because if you you know what I mean? Like the question is like who which one of these candidates could have actually like changed some people's mind and like won some hearts over and actually created somebody who's like going to be down with this cause for years to come. That's it's it's more difficult to uh, uh, to measure in some ways. But that to me is really what we're what we're here chasing. It's not just this silly idea of like, did more people vote? And I know I've heard you make this point before, but it's um it's kind of this egocentric removed from reality tendency of a lot of members of the LP or at least has been in the past that they don't even recognize that. Like, I, I and I don't know exactly what percentage of the time this is, but a huge percentage of the time the amount of votes you you get has nothing to do with the candidate has nothing yeah. to do with them even knowing that's, who the that's candidate a really is. tough pill for for some people to swallow that because because people and and i'm not trying to minimize but people work their asses off for this stuff dude yeah and it's no i know and it I is know. it is it is hard and it is thankless 
Um, and, and we really want to believe that, that, you know, our efforts and maybe, you know, and, and I don't want to like say there's zero of it, you know, like I'm sure they, they earn some votes out there and, and, and all of that. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. But, but I, I really think in these bigger races, cause again, my metric, well, my, my theory is that we have to build trust, right? So the, que- the question in my mind is that why would anybody vote for us uh, with this in-group, out-group distinction? Why would they vote for us for what they perceive to be the highest stake races when we have done nothing to earn their trust at the community level? And from their, their perspective, we come out of nowhere every two or four years, um, fuck up, quote unquote, their elections, you know, and talk about how great we are and then disappear back into the ether only to reemerge two years later. I think that's kind of like what your average person who's not in our yeah. circles probably sees out of us. Um, and, and so, like, why would they trust us? Whereas if we come up from the community level where they perceive the political stakes to be the lowest, you know, maybe maybe then you can get that trust. And so my point is, is that we have no basis to earn the trust for the, the, the uh, highest stake races. So I think the disgust level that they have with the candidates is the highest thing, which is why, you know, I've, I've remarked that I hope that Trump gets the nomination, not because I'm a Trump fan, but because the highest vote totals that we've ever had are running against Trump, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and, well, and, and yeah. Well, it's, it's, in, you know, it's, it's kind of impossible to know for certain and le- like, it'd be really interesting if, if we had a time machine and you could go back to 2016 and instead of Gary Johnson, Bill Weld put on the ballot, like Joe Schmo, you know what I mean? Just like name L next to him and see what the difference is and how many votes they, they get. And I got to tell you, I think when Donald Trump's running against Hillary Clinton and on your ballot right next to him is someone else L they're going to get some votes like and I do think that that's like that that's a huge factor here and the same thing with so many of these senate races and and house races where there's just so many people today who are disgusted by both parties that they click off the other guy's name and and in many cases it's really no comment at all on whether that person even introduced the idea of like what we're here talking about is freedom and that hey there's this party and hey there's this uh, this group and hey you can like there you know like there's it, like it's just it doesn't represent anything like in many cases now I, again i don't know exactly what percentage of the the time uh, that is but it's definitely a big factor and so i think and this is like one of the things that i've you know been been kind of talking about in the whole project of this podcast has been for a long time is that we kind of have to have other metrics by which we measure uh, success. And it's not just something like, oh, who got the most votes? And of course, if you did just have this pure, this is one of the things that I I was challenging um, the disgraced former chair on when we were in that debate, was like, okay, but if you're willing to sacrifice a little bit of principle for more votes, like maybe you could sacrifice a little bit more principle and get even more votes and a little bit more. And like, at what point are you looking at this where, why is this not worth it? And that's where the whole run Dick Cheney and get 10 million votes, which is not that crazy. Dick Cheney and George W. Bush got like 50 million votes when they were president. Maybe Dick Cheney could come to a third party and get 10 million votes or could have at one time. Certainly not anymore, but could have at one time. Um, and you go, so why not? And, and even there, I was just kind of trying to goad him into admitting that there has to be somewhere that you draw a line and go like, OK, well, if you're over that line, then we can't you know what I mean? Like the, then the payoff yeah. is no longer worth it. And so you can just kind of like uh, uh, abducto absurdum this thing down to a point where you're like, yeah, just vote chasing is nothing. That's then you're Donald right. Trump or Hillary Clinton or whatever. The, the problem is, is that what we would consider to be the proper metric is a little bit harder to gauge. Yeah. Cause it's, it's something like who is, who is productively uh, reach, who is reaching the most people in a productive manner that alters their worldview. It's something like that. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, and, 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 um, that's tough. That, that is a tough calculate, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Although at the same time, and this is one of the things that was kind of gratifying about the whole, you know, uh, you know, Reno reset, um, is that this is kind of what we were arguing the whole time is that we're like, no, we're doing this while you guys are off bragging about your vote numbers and vote chasing. We are, we are saying that we are reaching more people in a productive way. That's actually altering like that. They care about something so much that they'll do this. And it was interesting to almost see that they were immune to that. Like it, it, it was almost, I remember having these, uh, me, me and you talked about this, uh, you know, in the past that I, I don't want to like harp over the old battles of how we won the party over too much, but there'd be these things where like, 
you know, I'd be arguing uh, on Twitter with like people in the old guard or people in the pragmatist caucus or stuff like that. And they'd be like, you, you Mises caucus guys are going to lose. You're going to lose every internal election. And I'd be like, we're going to take over this whole damn party. And their tweet would have like 16 likes and mine would have like 4,000 likes. And then I'd be like, yeah, how does it look for you now? And they'd be like, whatever, man, Twitter isn't real life. It doesn't matter. Oh yeah. You got the trolls on Twitter, but blah, blah, blah. And, And I always thought it was so, you know, like if anyone ever said to me, they were like, hey, we're all going to show up for this thing and we're going to vote this way. And I go, no, we're going to show up and vote this way. And my tweet had 16 likes and theirs had 4,000. I'd be like, I'm concerned because right. this this seems to be an indication to me that th- a lot more people agree with that guy. And if the contest at the end of the day is who can get more people who agree with them out to this thing. And, and it, it was almost like they had a blind spot to that, that you can go back and look at some of their predictions. Oh, Mises well, Caucus is going to crash and burn. You're never going to win. And then it's like they take over. We take over every inch of the party. And then they're now they have some other excuse. Now it's, oh, you guys are going to crash and burn next year. And they, they never wanted to acknowledge that what the unseen part of this is, because there really is a machine here. And the machine is something like people like yourself, people like Tom, people who have the audiences are, are who are engaged are essentially bringing people into the idea. And then people like me, who are more the, the manager or administrator layer of this thing, um, you know, there's like 250 or, state level Mises Caucus organizers that are being alerted as people come into our ecosystem you know, and reaching out and onboarding them. And, and, you know, then we're training them on this strategy and then we're asking them to do calls to action. Like, and, and it's, it really is a machine where we, we feed off of each other, you know, and, and um, they never, they just wanted to think it's, well, it's just podcast bros, man. They're not really doing anything. And, and, you know, and that's obviously not true. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's no, it's just it's it's interesting because it just as you brought it up, I go it this was kind of even though as you're right, as you correctly say, ours is a little bit more difficult to measure. But at the same time, we kind of ran a little bit of a mini like test in which one actually produces something. You know what I mean? Like and, and so it's it's it, that is very interesting to me to for me to see. It's I also think the like, you know, look, even without the organizational strategy, I always find it kind of interesting to be like, oh, they're just they're just podcast bros or something. And it's like, oh, OK, yeah, this is the new medium, man. Like, what do you mean? You're just right. You're just like yeah. it, it's like, say, Thomas Paine. You just write pamphlets, dude. <laughs> like, oh, that's so lame. Oh, a, a pamphlet writer is going to tell me what to do. It's like, yeah, this is the medium of communication for today's age. That's like the most unregulated where we actually have a chance to get our ideas out there. It's like, okay, you can scoff at that if you want to. Uh, well, and I'm going to take it. Here's, here's a, a really good example of something that could happen when you have a good strategy and you have a good uh, compelling call to action and you have an engaged uh, community. And this just happened this last week. There was a major push by uh, the guys that bring our troops home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, they had, uh, Ariz- so they got Arizona to pass committee for defend the guard. Um, and they calculate, they were, they did the calls and they found out that there was seven senators that were on the swing. Um, and this could really friggin' pass in Arizona. And, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, the compelling thing there is, is once you get one state to do it, this is, this is basic social psychology is that it's the hard, the hardest thing to do is to do it first. And then it becomes possible in the minds of everybody else. They get fucking brave and, and it becomes safe yeah. to, to do it. Um, so this is, this is up for a vote in the Senate in Arizona. And there's only seven senators on the swing. So like they had this huge call to action of like, we need to do calls. We need to call the shit out of them. And um, you know, we answered that call and I'm not certain, but I, I, I suspect that the Mises caucus people and people from our list made up a, a majority of people who, who were doing the calls. And, you know, I got word from uh, Diego and some of the guys over there that they think that there was about 1,400 calls between all of these senators made by lunch. And, you know, I made calls and, and I had, you know, state house staffers uh, or state senator staffers being like, this is very impressive. Like we've gotten like 300 calls to this office today and this could pass. And if this passes, this is historic. This is yeah. the, this is a state exerting its control over foreign policy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And that could legitimately happen, you know, and then all of a sudden this oh politics thing isn't a, isn't a joke anymore. You know, like this is very real and, and, and very meaningful and serious, you know, and, and we need to engage in that. But that and that, again, is why I think we have to have this kind of circle of community engagement, 
that then funnels into like the action. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just sitting here and saying, oh, we're going to set the world free in our lifetime. It's like, oh, we might actually get defend the guard passed in a state. And like this could really change the whole paradigm here. There's never look, man, none of this stuff, none of the future is predetermined. It's human beings acting who are, you know, like making a difference. And it, it, we we can have a real impact on this. All right. Look, we're uh, we're up at the end of time here. Is there anything else that you wanted to uh, mention that we didn't get to? No, just uh, check out the tour, take humanactiontour.com. And if you're into the strategy, um, go to runaslibertarian.com. So if you if you go to runaslibertarian.com and you sign up, uh, we're doing two online trainings a month. We've got these six uh, in-person trainings, you know, the specialized trainings for sheriff. There's people who won. There's a, a diversity of training from Grassroots Leadership Academy, elected libertarians, uh, uh, the Leadership Institute. Uh, and and uh, we're we're taking this very seriously, and we're bringing the community together. So take humanactiontour.com, get your tickets, runaslibertarian.com, and and you know buy into the strategy. Hell yeah, man! And of course, uh, once again, I'll be out at the uh, giving a speech at the New York event, and uh, great people all around. If you're anywhere near one of these cities, come on out, man! This is going to be a great time. Yep, April first. That's like two weeks away. So you know, get your tickets while you still can, and get your lunch because you got a week left to get them before it goes out. Um, all right. April 1st. All right. Hell yeah, dude. Always great talking to you, Michael. I, I always enjoy our conversations and I'm real excited for, uh, for everything that's coming up in the future. The future is bright for the Libertarian Party and the Mises Caucus. Uh, so thank you for, for coming on once again. We'll talk again soon. Thanks everybody for listening. Catch you next time. Peace. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.